0: Heavenly Father, we praise you uh, that you give us this picture of the new heavens and the new earth. And we ask, Lord, that as we come now to read your word, uh, that you would uh, use it to encourage us, correct us, uh, rebuke us and train us, that way you might be equipped to do every good work that you've prepared for us to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in a world where there is a day for everything, don't we? Uh, The United Nations lists such days as World Wildlife Day on the 3rd of March, Chinese Language Day on the 20th of April, World Tuna Day on the 2nd of May. Uh, This is my favourite, Suitable Gastronomy Day on the 18th of June. And today is the International Day of Banks. Everything has its day. And death has its day. An organization called Dying to Know Day is trying to create a day set aside so that we can think about death. Do you think about death? How often do you think about it? Uh, The organization Dying to Know Your Day wants to help you uh, prepare for death, to die well. It wants to help you focus on... Preparing such things as a a will or making the appropriate funeral arrangements and actually just being able to have a conversation about your upcoming death. Dying to no day is helping you to prepare for your death. But do you know what the website does not mention? Afterlife. It doesn't mention what happens when you die. Death will have its day... But then what? Now, I'm going to make a generalisation and say that there are two main views about the afterlife in Australia. The first is that nothing happens. You're born, you live, you die, end of story, full stop. Arthur Schopenhauer, a dead German philosopher, said, after your death, you will be what you were before your birth. From dust you came, and to dust you will return, there is no more. It's a bit grim. Uh, Some people say that they're at peace with this idea. Uh, David Strauss, an atheist philosopher who spent his lifetime trying to erase belief in God, uh, said this, My philosophy leaves me utterly forlorn. I feel like one caught in the merciless jaws of an automatic machine, not knowing at what time one of its great hammers may crush me. Believing that there is nothing after death doesn't bring comfort, doesn't bring solace. But that's the first view of the afterlife that lots of Australians have. Uh, The second view of the afterlife in Australia is the she'll be right mate attitude. Whatever happens, we presume that we're going to end up in the good place, whatever that is. When we die, we're just going to be up there just doing the things we love and everyone we love will be there. It's going to just be a glorious continuation of earth, but without all the bad stuff. I often hear this sentiment at uh, funerals, in the eulogy, when uh, someone will get up and talk about the, the person's life. But it's not uncommon uncommon for then someone to make a comment about what happens next, the afterlife. That person is going to be up there looking down on us, watching over us. Are uh, they going to be enjoying the things up there that they enjoyed down here. Drinking, playing, golf, cooking. It's all about pleasure. It's all about happiness. And this view can bring some comfort, but it doesn't bring lasting comfort. Neither of these views, the return to nothing or the she'll be right mate view, actually give us a good indication of what the day of death will bring us in the afterlife. So let's turn to what God says here in Revelation 21, the God who knows about the afterlife, and see what the day of death will really bring. And the first thing we need to know is that the day of death will bring an afterlife. The afterlife is a very real thing. Have a look at John's vision of the future afterlife in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven, a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea the old will pass away the world as we know it will pass away the water holes will pass away the great barrier reef will pass away but this world has an expiry date and while the common opinion would say that we've got billions of years until our sun eventually expands and consumes us god tells us that he is the one that is going to cause the end when his son returns in blazing fire uh, In 2 Peter chapter 3, it says, The present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. And this is a good thing. Imagine living our life for eternity in our world where there is frustration, where there is sin, where things decay and where things die, where there are famines and floods and droughts, where there is injustice, where there is oppression. It would not be good. Canada has some of the most progressive euthanasia laws in the world. And each year, more and more people are lining up to end their life voluntarily. 3% of all deaths last year in Canada were from people choosing not to live in this world any longer. And as statistics go, that trend is just going to keep increasing. And God teaches us that life is a good gift from him, one that we do not have authority to end or by our own terms, Many many people are choosing to do this. And why are they doing it? Because they want to escape from this world. People want to escape from our broken world full of suffering. It is good that in the end that this old earth will pass away. Actually, the the Bible talks about it being recreated, made new. But that is not the only old thing passing away. The heavens, the place where God dwells, is also going to pass away. The throne room of heaven is going to be made new. God is going to do something new, something unlike we could ever imagine. God is going to recreate his own dwelling place, a new heaven and a new earth. That's what awaits us in the afterlife, this newness. God, who has set eternity in our hearts, will not let us return to nothingness. There is something beyond. It might be helpful to think about it in terms of the, the water park that has just recently opened here in you know, Before it was built, we could look forward to the day when it was going to open. And that day was a long time coming, Uh, particularly if you've got young kids who are really looking forward to it being opened. But it's something new, something different for Kananara. Well, that is what God is going to do. He's going to create a new heavens, a new earth. It's going to be something new, something different. There is going to be an afterlife. So what is this afterlife going to be like? Well, John paints a few pictures for us using words. It's it's why it's hard to understand at first. It's helpful not to take the book of Revelation literally, but rather to see it as painting a picture. And so let's have a look at what picture Revelation paints for us of the afterlife. And the first picture of what we see there is there is no sea in verse 1. Now before you think of a landlocked country like Uganda... Uh, The sea for the Jew is the first, in the first century, it was scary, it was unknown, it was dangerous. They didn't border the sea. And for them, the the sea was not a place of peace, but a place of fear. And the idea of there being no sea is that it's a place of peace, a place without fear, a place without worry, not dangerous. This is affirmed in verse 4. And this is a great verse to commit to memory for what the afterlife with God will be like. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. A place of peace. All those things that we want to escape from in this life will not be there in the afterlife. And why is this the case? Well, the answer is actually in verses 2 and 3 with the second picture of what heaven is like. God's people dwelling with God. I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, A city coming down out of heaven from God. Now, at this point, we shouldn't be thinking of a city like Sydney or Perth uh, coming down out of heaven. That would be a bit surreal. And the reason why was we need to notice a couple of things about this city. It's a a picture, remember. And in the Old Testament, Jerusalem is the city where God dwells, where his temple is, where his presence is, where his people dwell with him. And God is saying that this new city, this new dwelling place for him is one where he will dwell with his people in making all things new. We also need to notice that this city comes from God. It's his design. It's his creation. And third... This city has been prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now try imagining that. A city prepared as a bride, coming down out of heaven. It's really hard to imagine. And the reason why is because we're not meant to imagine it. It's just painting a picture for us. The city, the bride, are God's people, prepared by the death and resurrection of Jesus. Forgiven, washed clean of guilt and sin, ready to be with Jesus, you know a bride on their wedding day, a typical bride anyway, spends a lot of time preparing there's the hair appointment, the makeup appointment, uh, there's the the getting dressed and putting it all together. Uh, meanwhile the, the groom is throws on his suit and goes, yep, I'm ready but this this picture of the bride being prepared is really helpful for us as we think about the church. Jesus is preparing the church for this day when we get to walk down the aisle and be with him for all eternity. And when we're with Jesus for all eternity, God will be dwelling with us. The the two places of humanity and God are going to be together in the same place, the new temple, the new city of God's people, and it's going to be nothing like we've ever imagined. And in this picture that John paints, what is important is who we are with, not what we do. Because who we're with matters. When I'm with my extended family, it's about who we're with. It's not about what we do. We could be gathered at a park or having lunch together or just be sitting watching the AFL. Who we're with matters more than what we're doing. Well, it's the same with the afterlife and the new heavens and the new earth. Who we're with matters matters. Sure, we will do things. We will spend time bringing glory to God and his son. We will have some kind of work to do. We will uh, be involved in uh, ruling with Jesus and we will enjoy paradise. We will do those things and it will be amazing. But what's even more amazing is that we will be doing those things with God and with his people. Now the third picture is of God ruling the new heavens and the new earth. In verses 3 and 5, God speaks from his throne. Not only is God going to dwell with his people, but He is going to rule them with the truth of his word. God and his people will live together, honoring his rule. Now that might not sound great to someone who doesn't want to recognize God's rule, but to us who is God's people, who have been prepared by Jesus to be with God, it's going to be amazing, something to look forward to. And so we have this picture of the afterlife, a place of peace, a place where we dwell with God, a place where we live under God's rule. Now, who is this afterlife for? Well, the first thing we need to note is that it's not actually for everyone. Who is it for? Well, it's it's to the thirsty. In verse 6, it says, He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. The one who exists from all eternity offers eternal life to those who thirst. It's another picture. Water without cost from the spring of eternal life. Have you ever paid a premium for a bottle of water? Uh, maybe when you're out and about or at an airport or something. Uh, We got this one given to us as part of a family deal at our local takeaway last night. And it says on the front, spring water, refreshingly good. And I imagine that there are times when water is refreshingly good. Like after running uh, 5Ks in the heat uh, of Kananara, refreshingly good. (laughs) Here Jesus is saying that there is water that's even better. It's water that springs up into eternal life. And it's free. You don't have to pay for it. It's called grace. It's water we don't deserve, that we are actually unworthy to drink of. But Jesus who died on the cross for our sin forgives us And he offers us the best water, water that springs up into eternal life. And we actually see an example of this in the Gospel of John in chapter 4. Jesus encounters a woman at the well, and this woman was thirsty. Her life was a wreck. She was a social outcast, morally corrupted, and what Jesus' disciples thought of as ruined. And Jesus came to her and said, Whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. And she drank. And her life was changed forever. She believed that Jesus was from God and God gave her birth into his family. She was forgiven and she was excited. She went and told her whole town what Jesus had done. Those who thirst for eternal life believe in Jesus. Believe that he is the savior of the world. And so if we want to be in God's afterlife, we need to believe in Jesus. And that will change our day of death forever. In verse 7, we get a further glimpse of who will enter the heavenly afterlife. Those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. Those who are victorious are those who acknowledge Jesus' ruling now. And the picture of heaven is that we have to look forward to as the God of the universe, forever being our heavenly Father, we being his children, and him giving us all the good blessings that he has to give forever. And so if you are here today and you haven't received the water that Jesus offers, Jesus invites you to drink from this water, to have eternal life, to have a sure afterlife. Because we also need to know this reality. There is isn't afterlife for everyone. For some, there will be an after death. A large group of people are going to wake only to find that they have to die again. Have a look at verse 8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. It's not comfortable, but it's true. Uh, Jacinta Price, in an article in The Australian last week, quoted American writer Thomas Sowell. When you want to help people, you tell them the truth. When you want to help yourself, you tell them what they want to hear. Well, John here in Revelation is telling us the truth. He wants us to see reality as it really is. And that is if we are not part of God's family, if we do not believe in Jesus, our sin will exclude us from the afterlife. You see that list there? All liars. Who hasn't lied? Psychologists put in psychological tests the question Have you ever lied? just to see if you will lie, because they presume that everyone has lied. But it says here, liars will suffer a second death. Or it says here, unbelievers, those not believing in Jesus. Our sin will exclude us from eternal life unless we have that sin forgiven by Jesus. Jesus. And do you see what awaits the person excluded from life? They will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Now the person who talks most about hell in the Bible is actually Jesus. And he warns us over and over again that when we die, that we will either be raised to new life with him or to death, an eternal punishment for our sins. It's not something to take lightly. Heaven is real. Hell is real also. Hell is not going to be some big party where people can revel in their rebellion against God. Do you see the picture that we're being painted here in Revelation? It's a fiery lake of burning sulfur. Another word for sulphur is brimstone, which is, means burning stone. And when sulfur burns, it burns into a blood-red liquid and emits a blue flame, and the gases that it emits are toxic, and it's what causes acid rain. Hell is not going to be a party. It's going to be, for a better word, hell. Away from the blessings of God, away from his people, away from his dwelling. Now, God will be there because God is omnipresent, but he will be there active in judgment. And to be there will be like swimming in burning sulfur. Now, that might sound harsh of God, but that's only because we don't understand the depths of our sinfulness. We don't understand the extent of God's holiness. In our sin, we reject the creator of our world and instead we crown ourselves king. Every time we sin, we're saying to God, God, get off your throne. I want to sit there. I want to rule. I want to be in control. And it's that sin that will mean two things. The first is that God is going to exclude us from the new heavens and the new earth, because we will not be worthy to be there. And secondly, that sin means that we won't want to be there. We'd prefer to swim in sulfur than share eternity with a heavenly Father who rules his people with goodness and wisdom and grace. Now these two realities, they should move us from thinking that there is nothing to come on the day of death or that she'll just be right, to instead seeking Jesus and the eternal life he brings because Jesus changes our situation. Jesus' death on the cross changes God's orientation towards us. Instead of judgment, it becomes blessing. But Jesus also changes our orientation towards him. Instead of us wanting to rule ourselves, we will be happy to submit to his rule, his good, wise, and powerful rule. And so to wake up, To an afterlife, we need Jesus. So are you prepared to die? I want to finish with two stories. Uh, The first is of Sir Thomas Scott, a Chancellor of England in the 1500s, and an atheist. Uh, These are reported to be his final words. He said, Until this moment, I thought there was neither a God nor a hell. Now I know and feel that there are both... And I'm doomed to perdition by the just judgment of the Almighty. It was his day of death that awoke him to the reality that there is a heaven and a hell. And he knew that he was going to be in hell under the judgment of God. The second story is of Diana Clifton. She was a parishioner at our last church in Wentworth Falls who only recently passed away. I don't know Diana's last words but I know that she was someone who was looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth. She knew she belonged there. She longed to be there. She talked about wanting to be there. And while she made the most of every opportunity she had in this world, she served at church, she taught scripture, she ran Bible studies, she pastorally cared for women. She was always looking forward to heaven. She had a peace about her coming death. A confidence because she knew that there was an afterlife. She knew that Jesus had secured it for her. She knew what her day of death would bring. Well, dying to know your day wants you to prepare for death. And the best way to do that is to believe in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. In this passage, we see our two realities. One where we get to be with you for all eternity if we trust Jesus, and the other where we don't. That's, that's very sobering for us, Lord. So we pray that you will give us hearts and minds that thirst after Jesus, that we would want the water that he gives that springs up into eternal life, that we can know that our death is not the end, but that we will get to live forever with you, our heavenly Father. And we pray this in Jesus' name.